We'll be in Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. Um, we live in a world uh, where we struggle with temptation to compromise, and for different reasons. Uh, of course, there's all those that say, you know, we need to compromise theologically, morally, based upon what the world is like today. Uh, on the opposite side, and yet somehow on the same side, there is a growing number of people who say, uh, particularly about the passage I'm going to be looking back at this morning, the fruit of the Spirit, they say in the world today where everybody's against Christians and against the church, we can't afford to be, you know, loving, patient, kind, you know. We have to fight fire with fire. So we have on one side people saying because of the way things are today, we just need to ignore Scripture. And then on the other side, people who think the opposite say because of the way things are today, we need to ignore Scripture. And I'm like, okay, well, you sort of both sound like you're wrong, you know. Um, but, you know, and, it, and it's pretty easy for me to sort of look at those, those folks and say, you know, they're wrong. But when it gets right down to it, you know, love, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, all that, I don't display it too well driving through Atlanta. And if I must be honest and confess, I don't do that well on Highway 90 either. <laughs> I don't do that well on Dogwood, Stewart. I, don't just don't, I just don't do well when it comes to that. This pulpit moves. Wow. Um, now, the question we have is how do we constantly live in obedience to God? Now, I... There's something I find strange about myself, and you might have the same issue. Of course, there's a lot of things you may find strange about me as well. But one thing, if you, someone came in here right now and gave me the worst news I could possibly get, I could handle it. I mean, I'd be upset, but I'd just be, I'm trusting God, it's all going to turn out. But if the drive through line at Whataburger is taking too long, you know, it seems like we can handle the big things sometimes as Christians. But it's the little things that trip us up. It's the little things where we get impatient. It's the little things where we get unkind. It's the little things where we lose self-control. Now, back in Paul's day, people had these solutions to that. I mean, Roman society had, had this reputation for being very immoral, very, uh, very wild. But there were some Romans that were quite disturbed by that, you know, and they came up with philosophies and ideas about controlling your passions and, you know, just, you know, controlling things, choking out the immorality in your life. There were the Jews who were coming to these new Christians, as we find in Galatians, and saying, okay, it's great you believe in Jesus now, but, you know, you have to be a Jew first before you can be a Christian. So don't taste, don't touch, don't, don't do these things, do these other things, you know. Paul's response to the, all of that was, Salvation is by grace, and the attempt to add to it is heresy. 
And it means that your faith isn't real to begin with. He pointed to the Jewish law and said that the law, and this is what the first part of Galatians is about. He says the law can only accuse us of sin. It can't save us from it. It can't change our character. A list of do's and don'ts is completely external to who we are. And it doesn't help us when it comes to day-to-day living the way God wants you to live. It's just a list that's out there. It gives you no power. It doesn't help you through it. So rather than... So he says what we need is grace. But some people are saying, well, if you just go by grace, well, then you're you're saved, you're always saved. You can live however you want. You're free to sin. But Paul is saying that rather than freeing us to sin through faith in Christ, we are empowered to live as God wants us to live if we walk in the Spirit. So let's take a look at Roman, excuse me, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And I'm going to go down, I think, to the end of the chapter. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For, those, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evidence. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity... Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ... Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So Paul starts out here and he says, If we walk by the Spirit, we will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. Now what's the flesh? Well, the flesh in Scripture in the New Testament, and particularly in Paul's writings, refers to that natural human part of us. Uh, It's a natural humanity apart from God, not under control. That's not submitted to God, I guess you could say. That's living in rebellion to God. It's prone to give in to temptation. It's prone to rebel against God. And the Spirit, when we are saved, comes into our lives and it gives us a whole different set of desires that's pulling us in a different direction. But our habit as believers is to give in to the flesh. So we want to do the right thing, but all our habits and all culture around us, everything that we have gone through in life is constantly trying to pull us towards this side. And if we just try to approach it as, okay, I'm not going to do that. Here's the rule. I've got a written rule here. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that, but it's constantly on my mind because I keep telling myself I'm not going to do that. And eventually, I do that. And Paul is saying, instead, let the Spirit control your life. 
Paul talks about the works of the flesh and what they are. And the sins uh, he lists were recognized as such both by Jews and Romans. Romans believed these sins could be overcome by the strength of will and discipline. Uh, but they didn't do a good job of that themselves. If you just read a history book for that. Jews thought you could overcome it by observing certain laws. But they didn't do a good job of that. As Paul reminded them in Romans. Paul on the other hand under the Spirit's inspiration helps us to see this, these sins, this flesh, is who we are apart from God. You know, we might look at this and say, oh, I'm not that bad. Well, I'm going to get into the definitions in a minute, and I'm going to peg you somewhere along the line. I pegged myself a few times studying this week. Um, These things are our natural tendency. We are bent in this direction. And And he goes through this, and this list can be divided up. First of all, he starts off with sexual sins. Immorality, which covers all forms of sexual sin, but it also indicates a habit. It's it's not just a matter of of falling down once, it's a matter of falling down over and over and over again. He talks about impurity, which is what the sexual immorality does to our character and how it bends us even further away from God. And he talks about sensuality, which in some translations you might have out there says debauchery, which indicates a total giving in to these sins without concern for what God or anyone else thinks about it. It's getting to the point where you just say, ah, this is just the way I am, and I can't help it. Then he talks about sins of idolatry. Idolatry itself, which is worship of false gods. It's a trust in anything other than God to meet your needs or to bring, your, or to bring you through life. It can be a trust in your bank account. It can be a trust in your favorite team, which some of you really need to get over that one. <laughs> it, 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 can, it, can be, it can be a trust in in politicians it can be a trust in your government it can be a trust in a lot of different things and you think well this is going to take care of me if we just had the right person in office if we just if if my team could just get above 500 you know all these things and we say my life would be better if all that was taken care of. You're trusting in someone besides God. He adds to that sorcery, which is an attempt to control the spiritual world through magic or for, through the use of charms. You might say, well, we don't have that problem here. We do. We do. Besides, source, besides being a trust in magic or use of charms, it, it, it is trusting in a power other than God to get you through life. Then he gets into sins of animosity towards others. And apparently he was pointing out some problems that the Galatian church likely had. You know, they were 
they seemed to be a pretty divided group. They had people coming in saying, okay, you have to live like this, and you have to do this, and then there were probably some people saying, no, I'm not going to do that, and there were probably debates and arguments going on. And he points out the works of the flesh that have to do with that. He pointed out enmity, which is simply hatred of others. He pointed out strife, which is a contentious temper. Ever met someone who always has to find a reason to debate? That's that. That's this. Ever met someone who always has to feel like somebody's against them to be happy? That's this. He points out jealousy. Jealousy is just simply wanting what others have. Not being satisfied with what God's blessed you with, it's wanting what others have. He, points, he talks about fits of anger, and then I, that's where it got really at me. <laughs> no. uh, it, it's just this raging anger that just explodes. It's what, it's what my mom and granny called a hissy fit. <laughs> you know, you know don't, don't pitch a hissy fit, is what they always say. It's just an uncontrollable verbal rage and outbursts. And then he adds to that. He keeps building on it. He talks about rivalries. Now, the concept of the word translated here is uh, political maneuvering. It, it's sort of like, okay, I've got my group, and we're against that group. And I'm going to get this group organized, and we're going to fight against this over here. It's like when there's a contentious business meeting coming up in a Baptist church and people hit the phones. Yeah, that's what it is. Rivalries. Some translations say selfish ambition. You know, the idea of I'm going to seek to advance myself and my cause and my opinions and, and what I want above what others want. And I'm willing to step on them and hurt them if it, mean, if it takes it. And then he just keeps going. He talks about dissensions. You know, that's, that's that dividing into groups. That's that creating parties. Then he says, envy, or literally it's translated envyings, which boils down to all the enmity, all the striving, all the jealousy, all the anger, all the rivalry, all the dissension just leads to a sense of ill will towards other folks. I just don't like them people. I just want nothing to do with those folks. It's a general dislike of others based on the idea they either have more than you or they, are, you think, they think they're better than you. In other words, you just hate everybody for every reason. If you don't have a reason, you make one up. Years ago, uh, Dick Buckets was a NFL linebacker, considered the meanest player to ever play in the NFL. In an interview, they asked him one time, did you really have something against the quarterbacks on the other team? He said, if I didn't, I made something up. There are some people 
And it just seems like to have the will to live, they feel they have to be fighting against somebody or something or something. And we live in a culture today where that is glorified. My home state of Georgia, there's someone who had 3.4% of the vote this past week, and they're, content, they're calling for a contended election. You lost. <laughs> the other person had 70%. You lost. <laughs> but we think that's normal. Then there's sins of intemperance, a, a lack of self-control, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. In other words, spring break in Daytona Beach. And all of that is work of the flesh. All of that is, that is what we would do if there was absolutely no restraint. Now, we have the restraint of laws. We have the restraint of, uh, you know, mama saying don't do that. But it's always fighting to get out. And Paul says that those who practice such things cannot inherit God's kingdom. They're not heirs of God's kingdom. The evidence of their lives is that they have no relationship with God and Jesus isn't their savior because they don't live under the rule and reign of God. Scripture doesn't mind looking at folks and saying, you're lost. And perhaps we shouldn't be so shy about it either. So what Paul says, instead of all these things that lead to hangovers at best and misery or death at worst, Paul says instead we should bear the fruit of the Spirit. Now notice the terms here. There's works of the flesh and there is fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh, if you look at Galatians, Paul throughout it has been talking about works don't avail to anything. Works don't get you anywhere. Works don't make you right with God. If we work at it, the best we're going to do is still fall into these things someday or sometime or another. We're never going to overcome them just trying to work our way through it. Whether it's our good works or the works of the flesh, they all wind up the same place. Paul instead says, bear the fruit of the Spirit. Now, here's the thing about fruit. Fruit doesn't have to work itself into existence. If the tree is healthy, if it's attached to the tree, if it's drawing nourishment from the tree, you get fruit. The theme of Galatians is works don't avail to anything. You can't work your way to God. You can't do any of that. But Paul says here the natural result of being a Attached to Christ is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, we bear these things not, I mean, let me put it to you this way. 
if you walk out of here saying, I'm going to work hard to be more loving this next week, you've missed the point. I'm going to work hard to be more patient this week. Bless your heart. You're not going to make it. You've missed the point. There's three terms in Scripture that I think are different ways of saying the same thing. Abide in Christ, be filled with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. I think they all mean the same thing. It all has to do with basically... I surrender, I rest in Christ, I rely on Christ, I rely on the Holy Spirit to do whatever God wants to do in me. So what happens when we do these things? Our, first of all, or most of all, our attitude towards God and others changes. First of these fruit, talk about our attitude towards God. Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. When the Spirit reigns in our life, when we are completely surrendered to Him, we are overwhelmed with a love for God. Sometimes I take time out to, during a day and I, I just ask myself, how much have I thought about God today? How much has he been on my mind? How much has he been on my heart? And if it's very little, can I really say I love him? There's joy. There's this sense of happiness and well-being that transcends our circumstances. And that comes as a result of having our, our minds and our hearts focused on God and on what really matters. Think back to the last time you had a hissy fit. In the grand schemes of, scheme, scheme of things, that what you have a hissy fit about really matter. When you get to eternity, is it going to be an issue? Love God. Have joy. Those things don't matter. There's peace, a sense of peace with God and others that passes understanding in light of circumstances in our world. And then as the Spirit controls our lives, we, we, our attitude towards others changes. We have patience. And I'm sorry to say that means exactly what it says. We're long, the word there is long-suffering. Which means no matter how much being in line gets on your nerves, no matter how much that person gets on your nerves, no matter how much that song gets on your nerves, you're patient. You're long-suffering. There's kindness. God is kind. He's kind to everyone. The fact that the worst, most godless atheist in the world today is still drawing breath shows God is kind to everyone. And we're to reflect that same kindness to others. 
no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, we're to be kind. There's goodness. Goodness is expressed in generosity. It's expressed in service of others to the point of being selfless. Uh, when I was studying, writing my Ph.D., which seemed like it would take eternity. I, I was studying the expansion of Baptist in, in the Midwest, early part of the eight, 1800s. And I would read their, you know, their mission reports and everything. And one thing that they brought up every time, over and over again, was the reason the church expanded, the reason there were so many new Baptists and new Baptist churches at that time was the selflessness of those who went out and preached and worked. The number one quality they were looking for in a missionary, in a preacher, in a pastor, in anyone that was serving was selflessness. A willingness to give themselves to the point of having nothing left so that God's kingdom could advance. And then there's where our attitudes towards God and others intersect. There's faithfulness. That's loyalty to God. It's also loyalty to his truth. It's also loyalty to his people. I, I, I struggled with the ideal of church. For the early part of my Christian life. If anyone asked me where I went to church, I would say, I believe in a personal relationship with God. That phrase does not exist in Scripture. You will not see the word personal faith, personal relationship anywhere. I'm not saying that you don't as must not as an individual come to know Christ. Yes, you must as an individual do that. But faith's not personal. We share our faith. We live together in faith. God never designed us to be Lone Ranger Christians who are out there on our own. He designed us to be part of a family of faith. And it took me a long time to figure that out and accept it. But don't ever think, oh, I don't need the church. You do. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you need a church. You need a family of believers. You need fellowship with other believers. And you need to have, be faithful to that church and to that Christian family. He also says that there will be gentleness. Some translations say meekness. When I've talked about this, particularly when I've talked about it with men, there's almost the opposite of meekness and gentleness that comes at me. No, we can't be weak. We have to be strong. We have to fight. Eh. You can argue with Scripture if you want to. 
Gentleness is a submission to God that results in humility towards others, and it results in service towards others. It's not being a doormat, but it's a willful, it is a willing self-giving of oneself to serve others and to put them first and above ourselves. Then he says self-control. Self-control is the result of loving God and having an eternal perspective, knowing that he is in control. Because he is in control, I don't have to lose control. I don't have to give in to passions. I don't have to give in to anger. I don't have to find ways to cope because I trust him. And then Paul says, against such things there is no law. In other words, by what... Keeping in step with the Spirit, we do what the law requires. See, when Paul talks about freedom from the law, he doesn't mean we do whatever we want. As Baptists, and because of our doctrines, you know, we, we from outward appearances, exercise less control over our members than other groups and other churches. And sometimes that can result in individuals having the attitude of, I can believe what I want, I can say what I want, I can do what I want. Because I'm free. I have my rights. Rights is another word you don't see a lot in Scripture. When Paul talks about freedom of the law, he doesn't mean that. As Pastor Derwin Gray expresses well, freedom is not doing what I want to do. True freedom is a life of sacrificial love that moves us to do what's best for others. Freedom is not going off and doing anything you want. A train locomotive is free when it's off the tracks. It's also a wreck. Freedom is found in submitting ourselves to God and keeping in step with the Spirit and obeying His Word, being empowered by the Spirit to do so. So how do I bear this fruit? First of all, abide in Christ and be filled with the Spirit of God. Christians, quit fighting. Surrender. Whenever I talk about the Holy Spirit, I know there's people in church of a certain generation who get worried. Okay, look at me closely. You see anything charismatic or Pentecostal up here? <laughs> no. They went to the baseball game in Pensacola the other night. They were having a dance-off for free Whataburger, even for free Whataburger. I don't move, okay? <laughs> now, what I'm talking about is the Holy Spirit, he resides in you. You have trusted Christ. If you have trusted Christ as your Lord and, Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells you. He's there. You don't have to do anything to get him, but you do have to surrender to him. And you do have to yield to him. And you do have to give him control. Paul said that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
along with abiding in Christ and being filled with the Spirit, you must crucify the flesh. I was reading this morning in my devotional time, the passage in Mark where Jesus is saying, who do people say that I am? And, And Peter says, you are the Christ. And Jesus commends him. And then Jesus says, and because I'm the Christ, I must be handed over to the Gentiles and I must suffer and I must die. And, and Peter comes along and the, court, the way Mark puts it is Peter rebuked him. In other words, Peter said, I'm going to set Jesus straight. That didn't go well. <laughs> Jesus turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan, because you have the things of man in your mind not the things of God. Crucifying the flesh, and here's the other interesting thing about that passage. Right after that, he says, if any man will follow me, he must take up his cross. See, it's all related. The flesh keeps us thinking about our ambitions, our ways of doing things, our opinions, what we want, everything we got to have. And Paul says, and Jesus said, you've got to put that part of you to death. You've got to let go of that. You have to surrender that. You just have to let God have control. And perhaps there's some things that you're wanting that aren't bad things. He he may give it to you anyway. But if he doesn't, you won't miss it. When we lived overseas and we'd always, and when we would come back, someone would always ask, "What, what do you miss over there? I never could think of anything. So I'd always make something up. Peanut butter? Actually, I did miss peanut butter. (laughs) But when you serve God and when you're obedient to God, you don't miss a whole lot. And then Paul says, walk and step in with the Spirit. uh, The way he put it here is, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. We We are alive in Christ because of the Holy Spirit. The phrase born again just simply means the Spirit made us alive. He's given us a new life in Christ. We are, we are alive. We live by the Spirit. That's just an absolute fact if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But then he says, so keep in step with the Spirit. If you are a what he's saying here is if you if you're a Christian, walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Be in God's Word. Have a prayer life that focuses on God's desires more than your own. Fellowship with other believers. Daily have a moment when you're surrendering yourself to God. If you were to if you look back at this list of works of the flesh and fruit of the spirit right quick uh, honestly which sounds better 
Which sounds like it results in more joy in your life, more happiness, better relationships. Which sounds better? Honestly, to walk in the Spirit, what are you sacrificing? What are you giving up? You're giving up misery. You're giving up broken families. You're giving up the things that will tear your life apart to accept those things which will bring your life together. If more believers walked in the Spirit, we wouldn't have, churches wouldn't have the problems they have. We wouldn't wonder where we're going to get volunteers for things. We wouldn't be worried about financial situations or anything like that. We most definitely would not, as a denomination, be having to deal with the issue of sexual abuse. Believers, the abundant life is simple. Surrender. Give up. Let God have control. If you're here this morning, you do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Everything I've talked about sounds kind of weird. Way outside of your experience. But it doesn't have to stay there. God so loved you that he sent his son to die for you, to die on the cross for your sins so that you can be made right with him, so that you can be forgiven and have eternal life. And the thing about eternal life is it's not just something we're waiting on. Because of the spirit in our lives right now, it's something we can experience in the day-to-day here and now. So... I invite you to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. After the service, I'm going to be at the next step station, or I'll be down here as we're singing the invitation hymn. But whatever you need to do, don't leave here without that relationship with Christ. Christian, live surrendered to God. Quit fighting against that. Be in his word, be in prayer, be in fellowship, be involved in a small group Bible study. Be a part of this church if God is calling you to be a member here. But most of all, before your feet touch the floor each morning when you're getting out of bed or waking up in your recliner, wherever you wake up, surrender. Let God have control. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word for your grace, for your mercy, and your love for us. We can only be here this morning because of your love for everyone. And I thank you that most of us here this morning have experienced your your saving love. We know Christ died for us. We've put our faith in him. Father, help that to be a day-to-day reality we live in as we surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit. For those who don't have that relationship, I pray that they won't leave here this morning without coming to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.